This podcast was brought to you by Pastor Mike Calstrip and Fellowship Church. For more information, visit thefellowship.church. Y'all glad to be here tonight? Doesn't the uh, set look beautiful there? I mean, those guys have really went for it. I mean, it's cool. Really cool. So I wish it was real fire, though, on that fire pit. But I make it that, you know, a little crackling, popping kind of thing, you know. Of course, might have to have fire extinguishers, but that'd be all right. So, Joe, bring a Bible or you got a device or something there with you this evening. Let's open our uh, Bibles, whatever you have there, to uh, uh, Colossians uh, chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. Hallelujah. You can find that opening in your Bibles. And then... uh, Pastor Brian said they're going to try to be done by 8.10, so we'll do the same. How about that? And they're, what time is it? 16? Okay, all right. You're too far off. All right. Colossians, the first chapter. Let's go ahead and bow our heads. We'll pray together, and then I'll share some things with you that I have on my heart. Father, we thank you. So grateful for this holiday season, Lord, marks the time when you so graciously and benevolently gave your very best to us. You sent your son. And we're so thankful, Father God, that in our generation, um, within this season of the church age, Father, we have the privilege of perhaps ushering in his second coming. So, Father, as we, the church, come before you tonight, I want to thank you, Father, for a deposit being made in each and every one of us with regard to the reality of your kingdom coming, but not only that, but the charge you gave to us, Father, to go in the world and preach the gospel. And so we just thank you, Father God, for the empowerment of the Spirit of God, the one who enables us, the charge of life that is within us. Oh, how thankful we are, Father. Hallelujah. We thank you for the blessing of God in each and every one of our lives. We thank you for the victory that Jesus provided for us. In the name of Jesus, amen. Praise God. All right, Colossians chapter 1. If you would note with me in verse 9, it says, For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, and also increasing in the knowledge of God. Strengthened with all might according to his glorious power, unto all patience and long suffering with joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father, hallelujah, which has made us meet or able to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who has delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son. And then it says in 14, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Um, Over the years, I've talked quite a bit about this subject. I mean, within the opportunities that I've had to to preach and to teach. And tonight I want to just talk to you uh, about the believer's authority. Now, I know that's not a Christmas theme, but uh, it's an important one nonetheless. And uh, I've said this before, but, you know, in most evangelical circles, there isn't a lot of it talked about about the authority that the believer has, a child of God. And as far as the revelation of the word, how clearly it communicates some things to us as believers. And, and uh, you know, not only not being understood, but not being exercised. 
So I really want to talk to you about that as a believer tonight because, you know, the Bible tells us that, um, that we're to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might and to put on the whole armor of God. And it says, because we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this world and, and spiritual wickedness in high and heavenly places. So it, it needs to be understood that as believers, as children of God, there is a spiritual battle. And I'm not trying to accentuate that, but I think the reality of it is important for us to deal with because when Jesus came into this uh, existence with us, course nothing you know we have as a record occurred when you know until he was 30 years old and he started his ministry but when he started his ministry he began to communicate to us about the prince of this world as a matter of fact in John's gospel he talked about it three different times when he said the prince of this world comes but he has nothing in me and so he understood the battle. We know that he was sent out into the wilderness and while there he was tempted of the devil. And we know the, 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 you know the narrative that took place there where he used the word of God. And man, they got it warm in here tonight, haven't they? You know, if you go to sleep, I'm gonna kick you. But anyway, <clears throat> but you know, that whole narrative of him saying it is written, so on and so forth. So I just, you know, my, my intent here is for us to be cognizant of the, the very real uh, battle that we find ourselves in, you say, well, how does that manifest itself? Well, it manifests itself with people being, you know, chronically ill or with worry, anxiety, care, you know, that, that is always seeming to, to bother them, you know. It can be matters of healing. It can be this and that, you know. Jesus talked, ought not this woman, you know, uh, who's Abraham, you know, a daughter of Abraham be healed from this infirmity whom Satan has bound these many years. Sickness and disease is not from heaven, it's from hell. And so these are the things that we deal with. Now, you know, a lot of times people, you know, they, they don't always understand everything, you know, about what's going on. They'll ask questions about how come and why and this and that and the other. But the Bible makes it clear that you and I have been redeemed from the curse of the law. The Bible makes it clear that you and I are to resist the devil and he will flee from us. And so that's the reason why I bring this up because a lot of times either we don't know it and we don't exercise it or maybe we don't know it so we can't exercise it but maybe we know it but there's no application. And so that's really kind of what I want to, you know, the, the practical aspect of, you know, if for some reason you wake up some morning, you just feel overwhelmed by anxiety or whatever. Well, I'm just telling you, it didn't come from heaven. Are you with me? And you're a child of the living God. So he has entrusted to us and authority, you know, to deal with whatever's going on. Now, if you're like me, I don't know why, but sometimes it takes me three days to figure out why am I not doing something about this, okay? You know, instead of, you know, uh, nipping it in the bud and saying, oh, no, you don't, you know? Sometimes we, I don't know if we tolerate it or what. Now, some people in Christian circles, I mean, they, they feel like, well, you know, I'm, I'm waiting for God to take care of this. Well, he's already done what he's gonna do. What are you gonna do? And so that's the context of what it is, some of the things I want to share with you uh, this evening. Because when we were born again, you and I, we became authorized, hallelujah, agents of his kingdom. And so the place that we're in 
is so much higher, I think, than what we're actually aware of as believers. And so it becomes important for us. And if there's any one thing that I can maybe tell you that will help you the most in what we're talking about tonight, it is the simple meditation, consideration, and thought thinking of God's word in your personal life. In other words, the exposure that you uh, give to yourself so that the Holy Spirit can take the living word and make it alive on the inside of you. But we have to give him that audience, that time, if that's the right way to put it, you know. I was thinking about this afternoon, <clears throat> excuse me, it's no wonder, you know, that people are overwhelmed and, and just, you know, overtaken, you know, by all. We are bombarded as human beings with junk. And I say that just negative, you know, on, I mean, it, it may be somebody's attitude, but it may be the TV, it may be this, it may be whatever, you know, and so on and so forth. So, so I understand Jesus's uh, comment to his disciples, and he said, let us go apart and rest a while. Let's get out of the madness, and let's just, of course, they found him anyway, but you, you understand <clears throat> that that is probably the most important thing that we can do you know, uh, because the Bible says that in your patience, you're to possess your soul. And so there has to be a time of devotion that we have as, as human beings to just, you know, shut everything off and listen to something besides what's going on in the world or maybe what the devil's trying to tell us. Does that make sense to you? And so I think that what it does is it positions us to be able to live life as he would have us to. So again, when we were born again, we became authorized agents of the kingdom of God. As the Bible says, we were delivered from the authority. It says power in the King James, but really it's the authority of darkness. When you got saved, actually it even happened before that. When Jesus was raised from the dead, deliverance came. Now, you and I weren't even on the earth, but he provided a redemption for all of us and delivered us from the authority of the devil and darkness. And so it's important for us as believers to understand that. But again, most Christians are unaware of the authority that's been given to them. And, and so they live without victory, and that is a bummer. You know, <clears throat> I was thinking about my own life, you know. I went from a, a, a defeated way of living bound by sin, essentially, you know, sin will kill you, man, I'm telling you, you know, and, and when you're bound by sin, there's no good direction to go except down, you know what I'm saying? And, and when I got saved and got turned on to the word, I had no concept of what that would um, entail as far as my future was concerned. I just knew I needed a savior, but it unlocked a door and all of a sudden, I began to realize that, you know that scripture in the Bible that says in John 10, 10, he came to give us life and life more abundant? You know what? That's really true. You know, I come to the realization that there was a potential for me as a human being to be able to live in victory. And when I say live in victory, I'm talking about live a life of being fulfilled, of being satisfied, of having meaning where my life was concerned, to have peace, to have joy, you know, to have all of those things. Jesus provided that for us, didn't he? And so it's so important for us, you know, to, to not only know that, but to live in it. 
So we just need to know, again, who our enemies are. <laughs> and, and thank God they're not your neighbor, okay? Even though you might think that sometimes, but they're not. But, but to know who your enemy is and what it is that he's provided for you as a believer. Hallelujah. Look with me, if you would. Turn over to the book of Ephesians. Let's look at something here the Apostle Paul said. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 1. And um, notice with me these prayers that Paul pray, prayed um, for those of Ephesus. Now, again... Uh, in Ephesus, they were Gentile believers, so they weren't Jewish uh, per se. And he makes a distinction, you know, between, you know, those that were uh, the chosen of God versus the Gentiles like you and I that got ushered in by the mercy of God. Aren't you glad for that tonight? Hallelujah. And so he's talking to these, uh, those that, the church that be at Ephesus. And uh, he said here, notice with me in verse uh, 15, he said, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. And, and so his prayer begins, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. God wants you to know. Now, you know, when I first got saved back in the 70s, we had a lot of weird doctrine, you know, and, and part of that whole weird doctrine thing was, is, you know, you, you, you can't always know the will of God because, you know, and, and it was religious. That's all it was. It was total religion. And a lot of it was just kind of an abdication of, uh, of responsibility on the part of the people, you know, that didn't know or understand the will of God and you know, so they just kind of pass it off like, well, you know, he's so wondrous and all this and that and the other. You can't know. But when you read the scriptures, especially the New Testament, it says that God wants you to be filled with the knowledge of his will. And so when Paul's praying here, he said, I'm praying that God will give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. So knowledge becomes huge, you guys. I mean, I just so appreciate the fact that you're sitting in this room tonight, that you've set aside this time or made this, you know, a priority or whatever. You say, well, I'm here because of my kids. Well, okay, I'll take that too. Hallelujah. I'm just glad you're here because these are the environments where great gains can be made with regard to the, what we understand and what we know so that when we're out there in the middle of life, we've got something that we can use to combat whatever it is that we're having to deal with. Like I said, anxiety, worry, care. That's not from God. It's not in any way, shape, or form. You say, well, you can't not worry. Why not? You know, when the Bible says, be careful for nothing, that pretty much says, don't be anxious about anything. You say, yeah, but I'm concerned about this and that. Well, he said to cast all your care onto him. Why? Because he cares for you. And I think the other thing you have to realize is, is that you got to stay in your own wheelhouse. You know, a lot of times the, the worry and anxiety that we have where people are concerned uh, uh, or where our lives are concerned deals with other people. Huh? You know, we love them. We want the best for them, all that kind of thing. We, and they're not flying right, you know, whatever the case might be. Well, the reality is, is that your worrying about it isn't going to do any good whatsoever right? So the only thing that you can do that will help is pray for them. 
That's what helps. In other words, get God involved where the situation is concerned so he can send laborers into their path or whatever, you know, to be able to affect the need that is represented there. But then you have to let it go. You have to, you know, when you've, when you've made your request to him, then you have to allow his peace to keep you. Now, we already talked about that, and God's got that. Hallelujah. You know, because otherwise the devil will use it. And he'll just, you know, he, try, he corkscrews people into the ground, you know, with worry and anxiety. And, and again, Jesus asks a question, what, what good is it? How much, how, who can add anything to their stature by taking anxious thought? And the answer to that is nothing. So it, uh, while other people will maybe say, well, you know, you're being pretty insensitive about that, you know. I mean, you know, don't you care? Well... It, is, it isn't that we're not um, concerned, if that's the right word to use, but at the end of the day, our worrying about it does no good. Can you say amen? So it becomes important for us to put that into practice. So when Paul's writing here that he says that, he, uh, and again in verse 17, that uh, God would give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. Notice it says, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that number one, you might know the hope of his calling. Number two, what is the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And number three, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power? I want you to notice this. It says, to us who believe. So the exceeding greatness of God's power to us who believe. Now, I know all you are believers in here, but I want you to know that there is a power or an authority that has been given to you, to us word, who believe. So he's empowered us. He's given us. I think about Peter all the time. This guy, he was kind of an impetuous kind of fellow, you know. I mean, he was just, he always had his foot in his mouth. He was always daring. He was always, you know, by golly, I'm the best, you know, or whatever the case might be. I mean, he, he, had, he had some issues. But yet, right on the other hand, Jesus called him as a disciple of his because God seen something in him. Now, you may be on the other side of the spectrum, you know, or whatever. I don't know. We're all somewhere on this meter, you know. But the reality is, is that God has created us for his purposes. But yet, right on the other hand, with Peter, you know, he just, he got himself way out there. You know, he cut that guy's ear off. I mean, he's, it's go time, you know. And, and Jesus just said, that's not the way this works, you know. And... Uh, <clears throat> And so when Jesus died, you know, Peter was, uh, uh, I mean, who gets out of a boat in the middle of a storm and says, baby, I'm coming, only to discover when you get about halfway there, it's going, this might not have been a good idea. You know what I'm saying? I mean, that was just Peter, you know, and, and you got to admire it, I, I think, you know, but on the other hand, when he denied the master on three different occasions, um, it, it, it destroyed him. It really did. We don't, we don't really see how that must have played out the way that it did. But, but when, when, he, when, when he was placed in that grave, I mean, everything about their hopes and their dreams were, you could say, dead, you know. And they didn't really know what to do with themselves. And I find it interesting, you know, that at that point, it was kind of like, now what? And all of a sudden, Peter said, I'm going fishing. Why? Because that's what he knew. And some of the rest of them said, well, we'll go too. Well, they get out there, you come back, Jesus stand, 
standing on the shore going, hey, sketchy fish. And he's got a fire going with fish on it. You know what I'm saying? And, and so I just love our father's heart toward all of us. Because the reality is, is that, you know, all of us sometimes, sometime in our life probably haven't done everything just right. But I'm telling you, he, he's already fully aware of that. And yet there's this calling, there is this desire that he has for every one of us to keep walking, keep doing, overcome, you know, glorify me and, and make it happen. Hallelujah. So it's important for us to understand that, again, the Lord is on our side. Aren't you glad for that tonight? Amen. And so it's important to understand that. But he said that we might know what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe. One translation says the incredible greatness of God's power for us. Okay, for us who believe in him. One uh, translation says, the immeasurable greatness toward us who believe. And then another one says, the incomparable great power for us. Now, <clears throat> we don't really think about those words, maybe like we should, but it, it, it may give us reason for pause here tonight to really think about the incredible greatness of his power. In other words, it's defining God's power compared to everything else. And the reality is there's nothing like it. And it was all demonstrated when he raised Jesus from the dead. All of hell tried to keep him in that grave. But the Bible says it wasn't possible. Well, that kind of power was distributed to usward who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead. And the reality of all of that is, you guys, is that he sent his son for that purpose, for you, for me, for us, to have his authorization in this world to carry out the will of God and do what it is that he planned for us from the foundations of the world. So everybody say it together, I've got it. You've got it. Hallelujah. I mean, praise God, you have his power. And so it's important in the context of our living our lives and things that come our way and what it is that we're dealing with. Hell will assail itself against us. It will do things. It will sometimes line things up to try to tell us that we are not going to make it. Okay, this is it. You're done. You're never going to you know, whatever, whatever, whatever. But the, nothing could be further from the truth because praise God, we are a majority with him. I think about Jairus, you know, I use that story quite often, but I mean, you know, when they came and they said, there's no use of you troubling the master, your daughter is dead. I mean, that's, that's about as bad as it gets. And yet Jesus turned to this guy and said, don't be afraid, only believe. And so Jairus latched onto that and they kept walking. And sometimes in our life, that's exactly what we got to do is we just got to turn to the master and say, I'm still in and keep walking. Hallelujah. Because God performed a miracle in the man's life and he got his daughter back. Amen. Now he had to remove some doubt and unbelief and a lot of other stuff, you know, on the way. I said on the way, you know, on the way to victory. Sometimes we got to, you know, we got to do that. Are you with me? But yet, thank God, he's made a way where there is no way. So what God did for us 
Uh, you know, it lifts us. It lifts us up out of any control or jurisdiction that sin or hell once had on us, and, and it's been removed. I mean, it's not like it's, it's trying to hang around. or No, it's been removed by the shedding of his blood. And that's why I don't know we can get our head fully wrapped around what it is that happened when God raised Jesus from the dead. But the reality is, is that when he raised Jesus, he raised you. He raised us. And so this, this working of this mighty power brought us up out of. And so the devil has no more power. The only thing that he has is deception, lies. And if he can keep you out of the truth, if he can keep you from knowing the truth, then he will incarcerate you with the lies or the deception that he has. For example, you know, I mean, I'm just pulling this, you know, out of, out of the air, but, you know, like poverty and sickness and disease, you know, a lot of people used to think that poverty and disease, I mean, they're, they're even in some denominational preferences where they take a vow of poverty. God never told them to do that. I mean, you can't find that in the Bible, okay? But yet, right on the other hand, you know, um, uh, the whole idea about, you know, God not wanting you to prosper or God not wanting you to have your needs met is just kind of our whatever we do. I mean, if you're going to be a Christian, then you're going to, well, that's not scriptural. But if the devil can deceive you with that kind of thinking, I, you guys, I grew up without a whole lot, you know, as a kid because my dad drank it all away. You know, he was an alcoholic, died, of, you know, for, of cirrhosis of the liver, 59 years old. And we, we lived in a shack, okay? And so when you grow up in that environment, that's what you come to know, okay? So in other words, this is the way life is, you know, hand to mouth, never having enough, all of, the, you know, all of that kind of business. Well, when I got saved, turned on the word of God, I found out, you know, that Beloved, my desire is that you would prosper and be in health as your soul prospers. But you cannot believe the fight that not only went on on the inside of me, because that's not what I knew, but also in religious or denominational circles, how people would come against the idea of being blessed or having enough, you know. And these are the same people, when it came to tithing, would never even think about it. They would give the church a little conscience money. You know, you know what I mean by that? Well, I probably ought to give something. So they throw a few bucks. Well, so all of a sudden, I'm learning a whole new way of life where the, where the Bible charges us to bring your ties into the storehouse so that there's meat and food and nourishment. You think about this building. You think about this, the facility that we have here. Thank God there were a whole host of humanity over these past decades that were willing to believe the Bible and participate so that, praise God, we could be... It took us five years to get this room the way it looks, you know. And I mean, we tore more walls out and we built, you know, because we didn't know what we were doing, <laughs> essentially, you know. But, but then there, there was this building. And, and the interesting thing about it is, is that as our church was growing and our kids were needing more facility for Sunday school and things of that nature, we got fought about building that building over there. It's not a big deal. It's 9,000 square foot. But when you, are, when you are conditioned, you know, to think um, in a um, scarcity or 
I, I don't even know how to describe it, but you, you get what I'm saying. When you're conditioned, you'll fight what it is that God wants to do. Are you with me? And then when we, when we did all that, you know, and then, uh, well, it'll be 20 some years ago now when we built the other building, my Lord, Jesus, <laughs> we had all kinds of stuff going on, you know, as far as people were concerned and, 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 and uh, choking, for the lack of a better way of saying it. You know, 20 years ago, uh, a church our size and having to, you know, generate a million and a half dollars, that was a big deal. Now, uh, maybe that's not such a big deal these days because things change and whatever the case might be, but it was. But you know what? All of that is because people said, you know what, I'm in, I'm going to obey God, I'm going to do my part. And in that case, when we did that one, it was tithing plus. And I was just sharing with someone that, you know, we had our first uh, uh, offering, you know, for that, that stewardship campaign. And our, our stewardship campaign was for 600000 and, you know, we didn't know what to expect. You know, we thought we'd get a good offering or something, you know, like that or whatever the case might be. And, and, uh, but we didn't know what that, that offering may end up being. And there happened to be one couple in our church, actually a family, in, in that offering. We, the offering was $98,000, which was huge. I mean, you talk about giddy up, yippee oh kaye we were excited because it was a three-year commitment. So we got another half million to come in from there moving forward. But so $98,000 came in and one couple gave 68,000 of that offering. They gave one, over one-tenth of the whole stewardship campaign in that one. And basically they made the commitment for this amount of money and they just gave it all one time. Hallelujah. Well, you know, it's... it's um, it's, it's wonderful. I, I can't wait to get to heaven and see what that all looks like, you know, when the rewards are being handed out because, you know, it kicked things off. Well, I guess I'm saying all that because um, if we're not careful, the way that we think can be controlled. You say, yeah, but I, I can't, you know, I can't even relate to that. I couldn't imagine doing it. it, it you know, money and giving and participating in the kingdom is relative. It's relative to what you have according to or as a man has, so let him give, right? Now, not everybody did that. I mean, that was an exception. But what it did is you talk about kicking things off, you know, and getting a good start going, man, it was huge. And so it rallied the rest of the folks. And, and as it turned out, the 600 came in and we were able to build a building and and uh, we borrowed some money uh, to do it. I think we borrowed five or 600,000. But it didn't, it didn't take very long and it was all paid off, you know. So I remember one time I used this story and I don't know how come I'm off on this, but maybe it's just, maybe it's a, a situation where there's a hardship where your economy or your resources are, are concerned. And so hell will try to turn the screws down on you you know, in that area of your life. And maybe what I'm sharing with you here this evening will help uh, to uh, give you faith to believe and know that there's a God in heaven who's much bigger than any problem you'll ever have and that he wants to supply the need that you have. Okay, are you with me? So anyway, uh, I was gonna share something there. I kind of got off. Um, I don't remember what it was. It'll come back to me, right? 
Okay, but uh, again, I think that the important part in all of this is to simply say, you know, that uh, we have to change the way that we think, and it has to be in line with the word. Okay. Oh, I know. I was talking about, um, you know, everything being relative, you know, uh, to what a man has. And so, you know, every one of us, you know, as, as members of the church, we, you know, stretched ourselves. You know, you can't stretch yourself. It really won't, you know, you won't die. And, and uh, you know, and we made it happen, and it was wonderful. And, oh, I know what I was going to share. Yeah, it's coming back to me now. So we're going down this road, and um, I learned some great advice when I was just young. Joan and I were two th- 23, 24 years old, and, and one of the things that somebody came up and told me, uh, we were talking about having to borrow money, they said, well, how much can you afford? And let's just say that I can afford $1,000, and he said, well, go in there and make a deal with them uh, that will only cost you $600 a month. I said, why do I want to do that? He says, because you said you can afford 1000 I said, yeah, that's, I don't understand. He says, what you're going to do is you're going to give them 600 and you're going to take the other 400 and rat hole it. And then what you're going to do is in about six months or a year or something like that, you're going to take all the money that you rat hold and you're going to give it to them and say, I want to pay down on my uh, debt. And, and this is so true, you guys. When you need money, banks don't have it to give. But when you don't mean, need money, they have all kinds of money to give. Isn't that right? Yeah. <laughs> You know, and it's just the way it is, you know, and that's the way we were. We didn't have nothing. We didn't we didn't even have two nickels to rub together when we first got started. But that is a simple fundamental principle that we began to exercise. And then all of a sudden they had all kinds of money to borrow us. You know, we assumed the loan on this building and they didn't even want to do that, but they couldn't legally. They were we were married, baby, because that was just the way it was. So and and my point to all of that is, is that. You know, what ended up happening was, I can remember one of the people that provided service to our church, you know, we were out driving around doing something, trying to figure out, you know, uh, a utility situation. And the guy, he says, you know, Mike, can I ask you a question? And I said, well, sure, we're in his pickup. And I said, sure. He says, well, how do you get your people to give? And uh, I said, uh, well, you know, it was a strange question. You know, because obviously he could see we had some. I remember one time we were doing work down here trying to get this remodeled. We went to the hardware to get stuff. And the people behind the counter, you know, they, they were, uh, I don't remember exactly how it, how it came out. But, but it's like it was an economic downturn. And here we are trying to build this church. And so I went in there or we went in there to get something. And, uh, and somehow or another, the conversation came around to the fact that we were spending this money doing it. And I said, well, what's the big deal? And he says, well, you're the only people that are doing it. In other words, all everybody else was, you know, tightened up. And here we are, giddy up, let's go, you know, that type of thing. So when you're led by the Spirit of God, you can do a lot of things when nobody else is doing it. You with me? Well, so anyway, this guy, back to the other guy, he says, how do you get your people to give? And I was kind of caught off guard. And I didn't really know how to answer him. And I said, well, let me ask you a question, you know, because I'm just going to, see if I can figure out what's going on. I said, and I just asked him one simple question. I said, does your pastor ever talk to you about giving? About, you know, sowing and reaping or giving, receiving, you know, seed time, harvesting, any of that? And he goes, no. And I said, well, it ain't going to happen. You know, because faith comes by hearing 
and hearing by the word. I'm so glad that I learned from others about giving in the kingdom of God. This is before I was even in the ministry, you know. And, and so, because it set me on a path that changed my life forever. And many of you can attest to the same thing. You know, so it becomes so important for us not to get pigeonholed, you know, with, with wrong kind of thinking, which the devil will often do where people's lives are concerned. You say, what well, does this have to do with authority? Well, it has a lot to do with it, you know, because again, the reality is, is the devil doesn't want you to know anything. And if he can do anything, and that's where I kind of got to get to, because Julia, what time is it? It's what? Yeah, yeah we, we need to move along here. Okay. Um, uh, the devil doesn't want the child of God to know what belongs to him. He certainly doesn't want you to know that you have authority, you know, because if he can. And, and, and here's the simple truth about that. The key to all of that is knowing the truth. Jesus said, you'll know the truth and the truth will make you free. And that's, that's freedom in any given area of your life. It's not about, you know, just giving and receiving money and things like that. You know, people would, they'd accuse us, you know, all they, all they talk about is money. We had people going around telling everybody that they, that we wanted to see your tax returns to make sure that you were tithing. I mean, it was a bunch of junk. They said that we used to line chickens up out on the highway, you know, as some kind of a sacrifice, weird, I don't know, whatever, you know, kind of thing. And, you know, people are just jacked. They just, they need Jesus. Are you with me? But it doesn't really make them, the heater must have turned off, honey. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> so anyway, um, <clears throat> it's knowing the truth in any given. I'll give you a, uh, um, an example here because we're talking about the believer's authority. And, and um, I, want to, uh, I want to talk about this point because... Jesus, or I should say the Apostle Paul, he said, we are not ignorant of his devices. The devil has schemes, things that he uses to entrap people. You know, when you come into the kingdom of God, if you were one given to anger, he'll use it against you until you get control over it. You, you, you with me? Or maybe, you know... Um, you know, you always acquiesce and don't have much of a backbone or whatever. He'll use that against you until you get control over it, until you find out who you are in Christ as a child of God. It's just the way it is, you know. And, and here's another thing, you know, and this is a device that hell uses all the time, and it's strife. And, uh, you know, when pressure comes on, strife shows up. So you and I as believers, I mean, we have to understand, you, this is what you got to do. You got to tell yourself, strife is not an option. In other words, you give it no place. Yeah, but I'm tired of their behavior. I'm tired of what they're not doing. I'm tired of this. I'm tired of that. I don't care how tired you are. You cannot afford the luxury of allowing strife in your life on any level, whether it's a spouse or if it's a relative or if it's a whatever, 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 because the Bible makes it clear that it is a device that the devil uses to destroy people's lives. 
Are you with me? And, and the thing about it is, is a lot of times, you know, when strife shows up, the devil makes sure that you feel justified in the way you feel. Or he'll do it this way, you know, he'll make sure that you want to be vindicated. Huh? Because after all, you're right and they're wrong. All right? Or it could be <laughs> that your ego is getting challenged and, and we're talking. And so what am I trying to say? I'm, I'm trying to use a practical application of how you can use your authority when these things come your way and you say nothing doing. I will not allow that to be a part of my thought life or in my heart or anything. It's not an option. Let, let's read it. You, I, we've read it before, but let's go over to something that uh, uh, Paul told uh, Timothy, and I think it's in 2 Timothy. Um, 2 Timothy chapter 2, and notice what it says here. Y'all glad you came? Yeah. Good. Let's notice here in verse, uh, let's start with verse 20. Well, verse 19. Nevertheless, the foundation of God stands sure, having this seal, that the Lord knows them that are his, and let everyone that names the name of Christ depart from evil. But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but there's also of wood and earth, some which honor and others dishonor. If a man purge, therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified, meet for the master's use, and prepared for every good work. He said to flee also youthful lusts, and follow righteousness, faith, love, charity, or peace, with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. But foolish and unlearned questions avoid, knowing that they do gender strifes. Now listen to this. And the servant of the Lord, what's the next two words? Must not strive. I don't care if you've been wrong or somebody's trying to whatever. You cannot afford the luxury of giving yourself over to it. Okay? Because it's a trap. All right? Notice what it goes on then to say here. Must not strive, but again be gentle to all men able to teach and patient. Now notice, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves, if God preadventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, that they may recover themselves out of the snare of who? Yeah, the snare of the devil who are being taken captive by him at his will. That's kind of scary. And the, the, the device, the, the scheme or the uh, instrument that he uses is strife, okay? So, you know, you say, well, how do I manage that? Well, again, I appeal to you to simply say when, when the opportunity comes, you say no in Jesus' name. And then you gotta fight all the emotions that you're having. And that's really what it is. It's a battle about these emotions that we have that are basically kind of unprosperous and unprofitable and they, they, they jack things up. You know, if you yield to that, if you give in to it, then, then and, and I'm not, all of us have, okay? So, so I'm not trying to say that, you know, there's this perfection thing, you know, but I'm just saying that we recognize what's going on and we use the authority that's been given to us to simply say no, okay? 
You say, yeah, but I'm in a mess right now. Well, you know, God, all, he knows all about your mess. And he also not only knows about your mess, but he wants to help you out of it. So what we're going to do is take our eyes off the mess and we're going to begin to look to him and find out where peace is leading us. You with me? Hallelujah. Thank God for the Holy Ghost. Can you say amen? Now, here's another thing, you know, fear. You know, we need, I mean, fear is an enemy. God has not given us the spirit of fear, but rather of power, love, and a sound mind. Hallelujah. Aren't you glad for that? So, so that needs to be, you know, and, and um, I think about this in the context of the things that are coming on the earth, all right? Because there's a whole lot of shaking going on. And if you look at it for very long, you can get weird, okay? I'm just saying. But what we have to understand is, is number one, he's not, we don't have to be afraid of anything, you know? But you can be if you allow yourself to. And you get to thinking about the wrong kinds of things. Um, I think that, uh, you know, COVID was a real acid test for the church. And um, um, because that whole thing was set on fire of hell and it was designed to do nothing but to kill, steal and to destroy. And, and the thing about it is, 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 is many within the church community, they were driven by fear. Okay, and I'm not I'm not I'm not throwing rocks. I'm not trying to, um, you know, um, cause a problem for anyone. But what I can tell you is, is when the vaccinations come out, everybody gets vaxxed. And now all of a sudden we think we're safe. Well, we weren't, you know, so it's it's telling in the sense that we, you know, some trust in chariots, others in horses, but we will remember the what? the name of the Lord our God. And I know during that time, you know, as a minister, I'm trying to communicate um, something that will help people, that will, will feed them. And over and over and over again, this second, uh, second Timothy chapter 1, 7, God's not given us a spirit of fear, power, love, and a sound mind. I mean, repeat, 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 repeat. And then in Isaiah, you know, 41, 10, you know, listen, I'll help you. I'll sustain you. I'll strengthen you. I will uphold you with my own right hand. Fear not. You know, and then over and over again, you know, I'm preaching Psalm 91. You know, those that dwell in the secret place of the Most High are going to abide under the shadow of the Almighty, and I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my strength. Over and over again. I thought I was like a broken record. But, you know, it's just, it's trying to impart the truth to people. And, and, and on the backside, you know, hindsight's always twenty twenty. but you can see, you know, how it impacted people. So now here we are, and we got all of these things going on, nations, you know, that, that are uh, at war and all of these different kinds of things that are happening even in our own country. But I'm telling you, child of God, you've got a father that's in heaven that knows all about your situation, and he will care for you. And the thing that you and I need to do is not worry about all that but rather just concentrate on what it is he's called us to do. Amen? That doesn't mean you don't use wisdom. That's not what I'm saying, but I'm just saying that you get it. Amen? So, he's given us something by which to live our lives with. 
He has positioned us. And what I would suggest that you do, you know, what time is it, Julia? Okay, good. I got a little time here. Go back here with me if you would. I mentioned this back in Ephesians chapter 1. I want you to, uh, I want to give you an assignment. How about that? This is a meditation assignment for you. Hallelujah. Notice it says here, talking about Christ's resurrection in verse 20. Notice it says, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Now listen, and set him where? At his own right hand in heavenly places. And then it talks about far above all principality, power, might, and dominion, every name is named, not only in this world, you know, gave him to be the head over all things to the church. That's you and me. Huh? Now notice in verse, if you drop down to the second chapter, and um, notice, um, uh, well, let's just read verse 6 because that's the point. And has raised us up together. Notice that. And has raised us up together. Where did we say that he was seated? Yeah, at the right hand of the Father. And he has raised us up together with him and seated us or made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So I would say again, for him to be seated at the right hand of the Father and for you and I to be seated together with him can mean no less than for you and I to share the authority that that throne represents. I'm telling you, God is on your side and he is for you. Now the devil will say, yeah, but you're this or you're that or you didn't do this, you didn't do that. It's not about you. It's about him, you know, because he's the accuser of the brethren. And so if he can bring condemnation where your life is concerned, he'll do it. But you got to just tell him, you know what? That's under the blood. That may have been the old man, but the new has come and I'm a new creation in him and I'm born of the spirit of God and you can shut up anytime. Hallelujah, in the name of Jesus. Because he uses condemnation so much and it really throttles, it really holds the church back from being able to do the things that God wants it to do. But you know what? That's why we're here tonight and we're learning. We ain't gonna let that happen, amen? So anyway, I think I'm up to 07 by now, aren't I, Julia? Oh, five. Okay, well, by the time we get concluded and take up an offering, then uh, we'll be dismissed. Bow your heads with me. Let's just commit this to our hearts. Father, um, <clears throat> I just thank you so much for this group and these people, Father. And they've come tonight, Father God, and they've, they've heard from you about your plan, your purpose, your will, and what it is you desire to see manifest in their lives. And I thank you, Lord, that you've given them <laughs> an unction, a knowing, uh, the spirit of God in them to be able to stand against, to resist the wiles of the devil, to say no to those things, Father, that would uh, uh, disrupt or cause problem. And so I just thank you, Father God, for what it is you've entrusted us with and the ability you've given us to use it tonight in the name that is above every name, the name of Jesus. Amen. Praise God.